Good morning. <laughs> Thank you all for being here today. It's just always such a blessing and encouragement to be here with you all. And so you'll notice we didn't have announcements at the beginning, and that's because I'm going to try and cover it briefly here. But we're super excited for the only announcement that we have for today. We are in the final countdown of something really exciting coming up in just six days, date night. We are super Super excited about date night for this church. Um, why? Why are we excited? Because we're going to be able to get rid of our kids and be over here and have really great teaching from Troy and Jeff and their wives. That's all really super exciting. But besides that, I and Matt and I know the other people that are working on it, we're super excited for what it can mean for our church and for our community. We feel that if we can work on our marriages, I, I can stand here and, and say, like, I screw up in my marriage, probably weekly, maybe more often. I don't know. She's not here, so she can't amen it. But, but it's often. And so I personally know I need this. And I know that being a better husband will just automatically, hopefully, make me be a better dad and be a better coworker and be a better community member. And so it just all trickles down from there. But in these last few days, we need a request from those of you who haven't registered yet who still want to go. We need you to pre-register. Right now, we have 60 people signed up, and a lot of you aren't yet. And I know that's because a lot of you are millennials, and you wait until the last minute because you want to know if there's something better coming before you finally show up. But we don't just ask you to register just because. We do it because we need to make sure, number one, that we have enough food. We don't want to make too much, and we don't want to not have food for some of you. But our, also, our daycare providers, they really want you to pre-register, too. Because if we only have three or four kids signed up, and we only have one daycare provider, and then all of a sudden 60 kids show up, she's going to be pulling her hair out. So <laughs> we need you guys to register. But I know that just isn't enough. Like just telling you over and over. We've been saying that for three weeks now. So Matt and I decided we would do something to try and entice you a little bit more into registering. Anyone who registers by 11.59 p.m. tonight, your couple, your, you as a couple, will go into a drawing for a $50 TikTok gift card. Ooh. Now, not only do you get your $10 date night with daycare and dinner and awesome speakers, then later on, one lucky person will have the opportunity to put what they learn into practice and on the church as well. So for those of you who have already registered, don't worry, you're already in the drawing. This isn't just for those last minute people who waited till today to register. This is for anyone who registers by tonight at 1159. Um, so if you're waiting to register, do it today. Don't, don't put it off. And if you've been waiting, if you're like, oh, my, my sister or, or my coworker or my neighbor, they all need to be part of this too. Don't wait to invite them either because we want them to be part of this too. So make sure to invite them today so they can get registered. We are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians today, and we are going to be in chapter 4. And so if you want to just head over there, we're going to be in chapter 4 the whole time. And I'll reference some other passages, but you guys can just camp out right there in chapter 4 the whole time. Um, I have titled this sermon, A Life Worth Imitating. And so with that, I ask you, what is a life worth 
imitating. They say that imitation is the, the highest form of flattery, but yet we constantly hear stories of copyright infringement and musicians suing other musicians. You know, Weird Al Yankovic has gotten sued so many times, I don't know how he can still make music anymore. And, but even besides him, like you hear these stories of people suing somebody else because they took one little beat out of their song and reused it. And I'm going to sue you for it because that was my property and not yours. And so is it really the highest form of flattery? When I thought about the idea of imitation, I remembered a Christmas gift I bought for Andrea one year. One year she really wanted Ugg boots. Every year she really wants Ugg boots, but, but Ugg boots were really expensive. And, and I'm the kind of guy that I like to buy lots of little presents. The more presents she has sitting around her, whether how tchotchke or worthless they are, I just want to surround her in as many worthless presents as possible to make her feel loved. And if I bought a pair of Uggs, I, I couldn't do that. It wouldn't, that's all I could get her was the Uggs. So I went online, I went searching, and lo and behold, I found a pair that was half price. This is perfect. Now I can buy her the half price Uggs, and I can buy her some more tchotchke presents, and it's the best of both worlds. So I bought them, and they took a really, really long time to get here. I don't, this is like forever. Like I ordered them a month in advance, and they, by Christmas, they still weren't here yet. Luckily, Andrea's birthday is three days later, so... I can just give them to her for her birthday. And so they were there for the birthday. And I opened them up and they looked great. They looked perfect. So I gave them to her and she opened them up and she loved them and they were perfect and they were everything she wanted for about six months. That's when the, the sole of the shoe started to fall off. You had that talking shoe thing. And at first it was just a little bit, but within just a few weeks, the entire sole is like flopping off. I'm like, that's so weird. These were expensive. They shouldn't fall apart after just six months. So she's like, well, I'm going to take them in and see if I can get them repaired. So she took them in. The shoe repairman took one look at them. He goes, well, they're falling apart because they're fake. You knew that, right? No. He knew because he knew what to look for. He knew what real Uggs looked like and what fake ones didn't. I didn't. I couldn't see the imitation. In our passage today, Paul talks about the idea of being imitators. And for the past two chapters, Paul has been hammering on the Corinthians because of their man worship. The, Matt discussed how the Corinthians had a problem with tribalism. They were, they were following, they were focusing on men and on the, the leaders in the church. And because of that, it was causing divisions. And in verse 17 of chapter 3, Paul even says that God will destroy those who are attempting to destroy the temple of God. And he's referencing those who are trying to cause those divisions. These are actually some of the harshest words that Paul says in the entire book of 1 Corinthians. And it's, it's in regards to those causing divisions. We are going to deal with some really, really messed up stuff. Just next week, we're going to be covering some really messed up stuff in 1 Corinthians and in the church of Corinth. But Paul's strongest words come to those who are causing divisions in the church. That's important for us to think about. And then, so he, he hammers away on those causing divisions and man worship and tribalism. But then right here in verse 16 of chapter 4, Paul says something strange. 
He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Be imitators of Paul. That'll be our, our key verse for today. And so be thinking about that as we go through some of this. After speaking so strongly about not following leaders, not following men, Paul now shifts and he says, imitate me. That seems very ironic. But in order to understand, we obviously should read the entire chapter to understand why in verse 16 he can say that and understand why Paul says to imitate him and how maybe even we should be willing to say imitate me. So follow along. I'll read it in sections. So just follow along as I read the first five verses here. It says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. If we're going to live a life worth imitating to the point that we can say to other people, imitate me, we have to have a clear conscience. We have to deal with our sin. Paul says that servants of Jesus, which is who all of us as followers are, we need to be found trustworthy. Trustworthy does not mean perfect or sinless It literally means to be worthy of being trusted. Are we worthy of being trusted by people? Then Paul talks about judging others. There are so many times that I hear, and you probably hear too, non-Christians talking about how judgmental we all are, right? Oh, Christians, they're all just so judgmental. They just talk about how everything's sin and wrong, and they all want us to change. The Corinthians cared a lot about what people thought about them. But Paul is saying that he didn't really care. He doesn't really care what the Corinthian leaders thought about him. He doesn't care about human judgment. When I heard that, I thought about uh, uh, a quote. The great theologian Tupac Shakur once said, Only God can judge me. I believe he might have actually been quoting Paul right here. I don't know. For those of you who don't know who Tupac is, don't look it up. So, look at verse 4 with me. He says, For I am not aware of anything against myself. The idea is is that as far as Paul knows, he has no unconfessed sin in his life. He's wide open. He's an open book. He's transparent. Paul makes the habit of talking about his shortcomings, talking about his past mistakes. He puts it all out there for everyone to see. And that's why he is able to say later in this passage, imitate me. 
Paul is also not saying that we have the freedom to sin and to do as we please. That's not what it means when he's saying, you can't judge me. Because in the very next chapter, Paul is about to judge the Corinthians for not dealing with the blatant sin in their life. And elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about us judging other believers by Scripture. But he's just saying, as far as I know, there's nothing for you guys to call into question. No sin in my life worthy of holding me the way you do. Can you say that there is no sin in your life that you are trying to cover up? That dirty little secret that if anyone was to find out, oh my gosh, they would never let me even step foot in that building. No one can know about that. I got to keep that. I got to take that to the grave with me because no one can find about that sin in my life. I know how hard it is to bring our sins to the light. And that's because Satan does a really good job of, of lying to us. And once we slip up and make that mistake, he starts pointing his finger at us and saying, if they found out what you did, they would throw you out. None of your friends would talk to you again. And we just start to spiral down. I want you all to know how much I love Matt. Pastor Matt, our lead pastor. I I love him to death. He is one of my best friends. He helps me to see truth when I don't want to. He helps me to work through so many of the issues in just a few short years of knowing each other. When I'm bitter and angry and hateful, he helps me to see outside of it and see what God actually has to say about the stuff I'm dealing with. His love for God and God's word is is something that I look up to. Before I even came to Stonebridge, Matt and I were already friends. And I had trusted him with some of the struggles I was having in my life because he had trusted me with some too. We were starting to be open and honest with each other. And one day, when I was struggling, I texted him. I said, hey, be praying for me. I'm struggling with something. And he goes, what are you struggling with? I go, no, 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 that's not important. I just, I need you just to be praying for me. Just, Just end it at that. Just be praying for me. Well, if any of you know Matt, he just can't leave that alone. Any of you that have been in his connection group, you know that he just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. He does it because he loves us. I promise you that. But he did. He just kept texting, no, you, you, need to, you need to tell me what is going on. And I just kept saying, no, I don't want to say it. Just pray for me. So finally, he calls me. And I said, Matt, I don't want to talk about it. I just want you to pray for me. He's like, how can I pray for you if I don't even know what I'm praying for? And how can you have freedom from this if you won't even confess it? So I confessed everything to him. Everything that I was doing, everything from my past. It was scary, but I never felt so much freedom from my sin in my life. Any other time, I've, I've reached out to somebody and said, hey, be praying for me. And they're like, okay, praying. <laughs> Satan just starts to tell me that lie. And he goes, they wouldn't pray for you if they knew what it was. 
And Satan just starts poking the holes in me. And then what happens? Then I just spiral further down. Then I just sin again. And Satan pokes more holes and I sin again. And it's just that downward spiral. Satan didn't have anything. Everything was in the light. Stop hiding your sins. The absence of sin is not what makes us followers of Jesus. It is the abundance of forgiveness and confession. That's what separates us. This single act of bringing our sin to light and modeling a life of confession that would absolutely transform our church and our witness to this community. No longer would they say, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. You're, you're just a bunch of judgmental people. No, look at us. We're jacked up and messed up too. When we try to pretend that we are, are somebody that we, that we are not, we, and, we, and we, when we stop trying to pretend to be somebody that we are not, and we start actually confessing our sins and our struggles to the people who we know love us and care about us and want to help us, that is when we get the help and the healing to move forward. If you want to live a life worth emulating, we need to model confession of sin. Just like Paul. Continuing on, looking at verse 6 and 7, we can see the next point that gave Paul the ability to say, imitate me. Verse 6 says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The second thing we can see about Paul that gave him the ability to say, imitate me, is that he lived his life according to Scripture. Why has God given us the Scripture? So that we can know the truth of God's Word, so that we can know what God says. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. And Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged swords. These are Scripture's words about itself. The leaders in Corinth were, were trying to elevate their own teaching to the level of Scripture. And this takes us back to just three weeks ago at the end of chapter 1 when Paul is telling the Corinthians not to add to or to water down their gospel, to their, the gospel, that it, that it wasn't about their boasting or their eloquent words. It's not about you. It's about Scripture. Paul is reminding them again here, do not go beyond what Scripture teaches. We don't get to make the rules by which we live by as followers of Jesus. We follow what God teaches us. If we want to know about marriage and proper worship and, and what we can and cannot eat or drink, we need to ask, what does the word of God say? And then when we are talking to people about our beliefs, we don't have to say, well, this is what my pastor says, or this is what I, I think I believe. We can say, this is what God's word says about this topic. 
In preparation for this sermon, I listened to a sermon from uh, Troy Nesbitt over at Cornerstone on this. He preached on this very passage, and he talked about his dad, Tom Nesbitt. Tom Nesbitt reads an entire book of the Bible every day. That's incredible. I couldn't do that. I don't do that. It's probably because Tom's retired and he doesn't have anything better to do than just read the Bible all day, every day. No, it's because Tom's that awesome. But in that sermon, Troy quoted his dad. And his dad says, it's not about how many times you are going through the Bible, but how many times the Bible is going through you. Let me repeat that again. It's not about how many times you are going through the Bible, but how many times the Bible is going through you. I can listen to my Bible on my app. It reads it for me for an hour every day as I'm running around the house and doing laundry and doing dishes and getting the kids ready for school and brushing my teeth and just running around being crazy while I listen to my Bible app. But am I really letting it affect me? Some of you may only read one verse a day. But if you are wrestling with that verse and letting that verse soak into you and change you, it's so much better than Bible background noise. Why should we live a life according to the scriptures? The scriptures help us to know the truth about God. The difference about right and wrong. The way marriage is supposed to go what is moral, and what is immoral. If we say that we believe that God has revealed himself through his word, then we need to say what God's word says in regards to these topics. It's not about our opinions. It's about God's. Paul says, if there's a problem, let's go to the book. If you guys have a problem with something, let's go to the book. It's our guide for life and godliness. As children of God, we need to read the book, apply the book, and live the book, and help the people around us to to do the same. Paul said, I am sticking to the Bible so you can imitate me. Our next section here, starting at verse 8, Paul starts to get a little snarky with the Corinthians. I love any time that Jesus or Paul or anyone in Scripture gets sarcastic and snarky because it makes me feel like what I, the way I communicate is okay sometimes. But I love it. He says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sakes, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. What is Paul saying here? 
He's saying if we're going to live a life worth imitating, we need to be living for the life that is to come. The Corinthians were very content with their lives on earth. They were rich and honored, and they were living their best life now. And that's what God wants for all of us, isn't it? To live our best life now? We can see that in the Bible, right? Live your best life now. Just look at the life of Jesus. His life was awesome, wasn't it? What about the apostles? They had pretty sweet lives. They had their best life now on earth, didn't they? Beaten, bruised, martyred, poisoned, stoned, crucified. They're living their best life now. That's what Paul is trying to say here. His life on earth was not great. He was hungry and poor and thirsty and persecuted and mocked. He worked long days as a tent maker and as a church planter just so he didn't have to be a burden to the churches he was planting. What about you? What are your expectations for Christianity? Why do you follow Jesus? Is is Jesus just another box that you can add to your already content life? So that when you really need something that you just feel like you can't achieve on your own, you go to him in prayer. Oh, magical genie Jesus, please give me all that I need. Do you treat him like that? Or do you treat him like your Lord and Savior? Do you cling to verses that talk about asking anything in my name and ye shall receive it? That's a fun verse, right? That, we like that one. But then we forget verses that say, If you were to follow me, you should deny yourself and pick up your cross. We don't like that one as much, do we? Jesus was very clear that our best life as Christians was not on this earth. If you are perfectly content with your life here, if the idea of Jesus returning tomorrow actually upsets you because you may not get to accomplish that one thing that you just haven't accomplished yet that you really, really need to before you die, if that's the way you feel, there's something wrong. This world should not be comfortable for us as followers of Jesus. We should long for the day before we stand before our Maker. John wrote to the church in Laodicea, and he said, You claim that you have everything because you are wealthy and wise, but in the eyes of God you are poor and naked and lost. What world are you living for? Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he said, Our citizenship is, not in, our citizenship is in heaven. Are you more concerned with this world, with the American flag or the national anthem? Are you more concerned about heaven? It is good to love the country that we live in and to want to see it be better than what it currently is. It's okay to pray for Christian and non-Christian leaders in our government, state, local, federal. Trust me, I often pray for our local government leaders, usually after I've spent a substantial amount of time on Facebook. But if this is our only concern, and the only thing we are talking about is the flag in our country, in America, hoorah, America! Like, if that's the only things we're talking about, something is wrong. 
if we are living a life worth imitating and a life focused on the life to come, we need to be living a life of humble submission, a life of serving others. That is what Paul is saying. That is why Paul is saying all this. He's comparing the the proud Corinthians to the humble life that he lived and all the true disciples had lived up to that point. If you want people to see Jesus through the way you live your life, you need to be pointing them to the fact that, to the life that is to come. We need to be able to praise God for all that he gives us. It's okay to have stuff, to have a good job, to have wealth. It's okay if God blesses you in that way, but praise him for it and use it to bring him glory. Our prayers need to be, God, use me and all of my time, talent, and treasures for your glory so that I can bring light into this broken world. People will be drawn to Jesus simply by watching you live a life focused on the eternal. When you're struggling and when you're hurting, people will see that and say, there's something different about him. He's focused on something besides his temporary position in this world. All of the stuff of this world can be lost in a moment. But the rewards of heaven and eternity, no one can take those away from us. We have seen in this passage the ways that we can live a life worth imitating. And finally, in these final verses, Paul says those words that scare me as a pastor. It's like Paul's summary verses of the rest of the chapter. That's what these last few verses are. Starting at verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? I remember the first time I read this passage after I felt that God was calling me to be a pastor and it it made me double take and go back and reread it and then read other commentaries and stuff, trying to figure out what was going on here because just this idea of Paul saying, imitate me. I quickly had the thought, wait a minute. I thought we were only supposed to follow Jesus. But here, Paul is telling the Corinthians to follow them, to follow him, essentially. Imitate me, follow me. And if Paul is just a man, and I'm just a man, and Paul is a leader in the church, and I want to be a leader in the church, should I be able to tell people to follow me? Uh Uh-oh. Got some work to do. This is one of those passages that should really cause us to, as Christians, to just take a look at our lives. Do you feel like you can tell those who you are leading to imitate you? At first, probably not, because we all have that inherent fear of causing somebody to worship a man and not God. 
And we know that if we follow men, we are bound to be let down. But the important thing here to understand is it's not that Paul is saying, imitate me, because he thought that he was awesome or perfect or holy. In fact, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says the same thing again. But this time he adds to it. This time he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's the key. The Corinthians had never actually seen the resurrected Jesus, and I don't think any of us have yet either. But they had seen the image of Christ because they had seen Paul and they were going to see Timothy. Paul was confident in telling people to imitate him and to imitate Timothy when Timothy got there because he had lived a life of confession. He had lived his life according to the scriptures. And he had lived for the life that was coming, not for the life he had. Do the people that we lead see Jesus when they see us? This absolutely does not mean that we need to be perfect, holy, just like Paul. He knew he wasn't perfect, but he was still able to say these words. This also isn't just for pastors or elders in churches. We're all leading somebody. Whether you're a pastor or an elder or a connection group leader or a D6 teacher or a D6 helper or youth group leader, if you're a parent or a husband or a wife or a boss, maybe you're a worker in the lowest level on a factory over in Ames, you still should be leading people to Jesus. I once had a friend tell me that we are all making disciples of someone. The question is, who are you making a disciple of? I love this analogy that Paul uses as coming to them as a loving father. Over and over again, it would have been very easy for the Corinthians to bristle at the things that Paul was saying. He's not saying nice things. He's being sarcastic and harsh at moments. But right here, He's saying, I'm not saying these things to make you feel ashamed. It is to admonish you. The Christian Standard Bible says it's to warn you. That is our role. We are to warn those who we lead that they are straying from Christ. That the road that they are on could lead in could end in disaster. Now, as a parent, I get this idea of imitating can be scary at times. My boys try to imitate me often. Sometimes it's a good thing when they love Star Wars and they love superhero movies. And sometimes they'll come in here and stand on the stage and pretend to preach. That's funny and that's cute and it's a good imitation. Most of the time it's not. Where did you learn to say that? Well, you said it five seconds ago. Oh, man. Our children always seem to pick up our worst features. We see the worst of ourselves in them. Paul is writing this letter to a messed up church because they needed to be corrected. They needed to be reminded of the truths that were preached to them and the examples that were given to them in himself and in Timothy. And as he closes this chapter with these final words, he is hoping that by writing to the Corinthians, writing this letter, 
that they would get some stuff straightened out. They would start to fix some of their issues. He was hoping that he would be able to come back and and visit the Corinthians soon. But when he visited, he didn't want to come to them correcting them, coming down on them for the sins that they were allowing to go on in their church. He wanted to come to them with love and grace. The same is true for us. We want to be able to celebrate the steps towards God that people are taking, not to have to correct them. What the people who we lead really need is someone who can say, be like me, imitate me. It's what our kids really need. It's what our coworkers really need. It's what this church really needs. It's what this community really needs. Followers of Jesus who can say, be like me. They need to be able to see someone who is a follower of Jesus and is, who is trying to do all the things that I've talked about today to the best of your ability, and they can say, be like me. Not because I'm something awesome and something great, but because I'm a follower of somebody awesome and great, and that's who I hope you see in me. We need to be able to tell people to be like us because we are following hard after Jesus, and because we live a life of confession, we live according to the scriptures, and we live for the life that is to come, not for the life that we have here. Just like Paul said, be imitators of me as I imitate Jesus. That is the key. We must imitate Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I, th- I praise you. I thank you for the work you are doing here in my life in Stonebridge's life. God, I pray for these people in our church. I pray for our family of believers that they can, they can go home and they can honestly reflect and just see where it is that they need to do some correction. That they can live a life that is focused on you, a life of confession, a life according to scriptures, and live for the life that is coming so that they can turn to those that they are leading, those that they work with, those that they just bump into in the community. They can say, be like me. Imitate me because I'm trying to imitate Jesus. We won't get to see Jesus on this side of heaven, so we broken people are the closest thing that non-believers will see when they look for Jesus. And so I pray that we can Let these passages soak into us to change us so that we can be someone worth emulating. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.